This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is brought to you by Koros. Wearables from Koros help you explore perfection by offering the longest battery life in its class for each of its watch models. For example, in full GPS mode, you get 60 hours of battery life. That's as much as the current FKT on Nolan's 14. Or track in ultra mode to get an astonishing 150 hours of battery life, enough to get an FKT on Vermont's long trail and then some. Koros is proudly worn by many great runners, including Camille Heron, Timothy Olson, Hayden Hawks, Magdalena Boulay, and many others. Track your next FKT with a watch from Koros. Visit koros.com. C-O-R-O-S.com. Back we are with the Fastest Known Podcast, where for 30 minutes, sometimes more, we talk with some of the most interesting people in the sport. And this week, we're going to continue with our topics theme. We have brought back Jared Campbell from a previous episode. And welcome, Gerald. Welcome, Jared. It's really good to talk with you again. Thanks, Buzz. Always fun to be on your podcast and always fun to be chatting with you. So what are we talking about this time? Now, last time, of course, we ran out of time because we spent 20 minutes just on your bio. Well, I'm just kidding about that because like most good runners, you don't want to talk about yourself at all. And we're not going to do that this time. But we're going to continue this time with a more slightly softer topic discussion than we did last time. Last time we talked about how to approach the big project. And this time, what are we going to be talking about? Well, I think this time we're going to dive into the topic of partnerships for projects, you know, something you and I have uh, a bunch of experience with over the years and probably something that gets overlooked and is worth, you know, reviewing and sharing with people, especially those kind of new to new to the sport of tackling projects outside of races. So the topic is partnerships. That's good. And like you said, no one ever talks about this, even though it's very important. A few weeks ago, we had Bill Wright and Kyle Richardson, and the topic there was speed versus safety. And we discussed that the three, we discussed three components of, of safety. And the first one is your mind. But the second one, the very second one was partnerships, choose a good partner. So I like this topic, Jared. Yeah, me too. You know, and as I reflect back on all the cool things I've had the pleasure to do over the years. The best ones are with, uh, you know, people and, and those people have become my best friends and they really shaped the experience. So I think it'll be fun to, to dive into this. Okay. So what do you got? Where, if someone is starting off here, or even if they're not starting off, what do you see as one of the first elements to start with for a good partner? Well, I, I think for the podcast, too, just to frame it for the listeners, kind of like the strategy one where we had some major points on the partnership one, um, I think it would be cool to dive into this, the process for partner selection and then uh, the plan, uh, the communication associated with the upfront phase, like the planning, all the lead up work, which there's so much leading up to a big project. And then once you're in it, you know, once you're in the thick of the project and you're you're plugging along, you know, what are the components that apply to each of those phases? Um, selecting a, a partner, planning, all the lead up work, the communication goes into it, and then the execution phase. All right. Three, three aspects of a good partner. Let's do it. In preparation for this, I reached out to a number of my good friends that I've, you know, teamed up with over the years to tackle big things, you know, big things being like, you know, a day 
a day to two days or plus kind of thing. You know, people like Ty Draney, Luke Nelson, and Gary Robbins. I really, it was fun to kind of relive, uh, and Ryan McDermott actually, uh, who you and I have done a lot with, but relive some of the big projects of our past, those that have gone really well and almost in a more entertaining fashion or more uh, educational fashion as well, the things that didn't go well. And so I've tried to collect a few little things to maybe share with the listeners here. Um, so, you know, it's funny. A lot of these things actually are, I think, second nature to those of us who have been tackling projects for, for years. You know, how we pick a partner, what we look for is just sort of second nature. So I guess I'll just say that for your listeners to hear that I kind of share some of these thoughts with, you know, those who are just getting getting started. Um, so let's dive into like the first one, which I would say is kind of um, probably fairly obvious, but having complementary um, skills. You know, I think a lot of people might just say, I need someone who's, you know, as fast as me or as tough as me or something. But um, I really think there's something to uh, having enough overlap in your background and your your capabilities, but also having differences as well. And and thinking through that as I'm, you know, pondering who who would I want to tackle a project with. So I'm thinking through the strengths and weaknesses um, that you know I bring to the table, and 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 the other partner would as well. All right, do you have any thoughts on that, Buzz? And so you don't have to be the exact same, but complementary could mean you're sharing skills. Like one person might be a really good navigator. Um, other other person might be very experienced in the backcountry. And of course, a classic one is the, the so-called rope gun. <laughs> you bring along someone who is really good at technical climbing. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, depending on the project, if you're doing something that involved technical terrain, having, well, both background, you know, background for, for the all the individuals is a helpful thing. Having someone who's really strong in that area is helpful as well. Um, you know, reaching out to to Luke, I have a quote here from Luke. He said, uh, you know, having one person that's sort of pure energy, pure optimism, enthusiasm, and then, you know, if, if it's a two-person team, uh, hopefully the other person is uh, maybe realistic and willing to sit down and plan. Um, that that seems to work pretty well. If, if you had two people that were just uh, optimistic but didn't know how to plan, that would be obviously disastrous. And then... Um, you know, the other the other extreme too might be the wrong thing. So my projects have worked out well where there's been sort of a complement of energy, willing to go willingness to go along with anything, and then, you know, somebody who's willing to put more thought into the planning, the route, logistics and whatnot. Right. I like that. That's good. And uh what other aspects for a good partner are you seeing? Um well so again, I'm going to kind of quote some of my good friends throughout this. And uh, Buzz, I know you and I will dive into examples from our running and backcountry and canyoneering adventures. But, uh, you know, having being on like kind of the same wavelength with the project, I think, is important. Like, in, like, what is the thing motivating you to do it? You know, if you were on different, if one of you was just, you know, hell bent on setting the FKT on, you know, whatever the route is, and the other is just sort of going along for the ride, that's obviously uh probably not going to work out. So I think just in those early discussions, like making sure you're both in it for the same reasons is probably a really important uh, thing to look for. Right. Right. That's a, that's interesting, isn't it? If it's a goal. Okay. Hmm. That's very, that's, that's, that's interesting because some people might just want to have a resume builder as one might say, and other people are just inspired by the route itself and wanting to get out. That's, hmm. I think that is kind of the same need. It's helpful to be on that same wavelength. 
<laughs> I totally agree. Um, you know, Luke pointed out to me, he, um, and along the lines of motivation, like, not only why are you inspired by the route, but when you're, once you are in it, you know, are you able to motivate the other person? And Luke, Luke brought up the fact that at one point, one particularly low point in uh, Nolan's for him that I made the statement then that, well, this is what you signed up for. <laughs> and uh, in hindsight, I feel kind of crappy saying that, but apparently that uh, the way it came across to him was a positive thing because I don't know how that lifted his spirits, but somehow it did. Somehow <laughs> the way I brought that up was a helpful thing to him. Right, right. Motivation's interesting. Hmm. hmm. Well, I, I think uh, for myself, as I'm, and you could give me feedback on this, I've done a lot of stuff with you, Peter Backwin, uh, Andrew Skirka, some pretty strong people. And uh, over the years, I'm definitely the weakest link aerobically and fitness-wise. It didn't used to be like that, but I am now. And yet people still, I think, maybe I'm mis completely mistaken about this, I think people still like to go with me. So there are some other aspects here uh, that are not necessarily based on pure fitness. You're absolutely right, Buzz. <laughs> no, um, you, you, I mean, I've definitely been a student of yours over the years and recognized that pretty early on that you went about things differently than me. And, and that's been a really healthy thing, actually. Yeah. So your approach to, to planning, to, um, writing things down, to rehearsing, et cetera, um, it was really a source of, of, of me learning from you, which is a really cool thing. Now I sort of, you know, it's a arrow in my quiver now that I take to other projects, but you, you certainly bring that to the table, um, a, a new cool approach to planning. Ah, okay, good. Well, that's, that's one, that's one of, and it comes in the complementary skills category then. Okay. All right. And some other things are in terms of partner selection would be, you know, is this a, What's the level of commitment? Is someone willing to just you know go die on Everest at summit, or is someone want to kind of play it by ear, see how it goes, and have a good time? You kind of want to get on the same wavelength before you start. Absolutely, for sure. Um, and I don't really know how to how to suggest people go about it, other than just like conversations, you know, and you know, touching base as you're sort of leading into this. Plus, it's a personality thing, right? You're going to know the type of person who's willing to give everything. But if one of you, yeah, was just super dedicated in their mind and the other was just taking it a step at a time, that clearly wouldn't work out. So it's important important to really discuss that openly, I think, beforehand. Right. And here's something. Of course, I made this joke right at the start about <laughs> talking about for 20 minutes about your bio, which one could talk for 20 minutes in which you would not, you would never appear on the podcast again if I tried that. That's that aspect of externalization. You know, some people really like to talk about it, really like media attention, and some people are a lot less so. So what do you think about that one? You know, I yeah, I, I was thinking a lot about that because I, I, that for me, it's been actually a point of, I don't know if contention is the right word, but my approach to many of the projects I've done in the past has been very quiet. I, I don't, you know, I've done things very personally motivated and many of my friends either do, you know, projects like this professionally or they're athletes professionally that brings with it, um, you know, a responsibility to, to socialize it, to publicize it. Um, in cases, some cases I've had cameras come along, you know, 
due to commitments that a part that partners have made. That's been really awkward for me. Um, I, I have to admit, and I appreciate my partners reaching out early and saying, "Hey, Jared, you know, there's there's this thing. There's a camera crew. They need to be involved. Are you okay with that?" Right? And um, you know, ultimately, I was. But that that is something really worth discussing up front because, especially, you know, today's athletes with commitments to companies and sponsors like that becomes part of it right is you are a conduit for for reports and attention and stories and whatnot and and if the other person in the team or other people in the team are not on that page that could that could be problematic so it's important to just hit that head on and not have it be something that comes up at the tail end that's good i like it so this is almost um Going into the part two of this, the planning, communicating during the lead up phase where you discuss these things in advance. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, once you once you've sort of decided in your mind on on who you want to team up with and uh, making sure all those initial things we talked about are in line, then comes the planning phase, right? And there's so much work that happens from that initial <laughs> idea or inception up to the day you're at the starting line, so to speak. Um, it's funny, I like thinking through this, uh, uh, preparing for this podcast, it, there's almost these really phases, right? From excitement to actually nailing down a date to eventually uh, making travel arrangements, flights, hotels, whatever. Um, it's really, the, those phases are actually really important, um, especially for, for me and others who have, you know, jobs and families and whatnot making sure that all parties involved have a similar level of sort of commitment to the project is really important. Um, I have had projects I've sort of been in the early stages of planning with people who are like uh, not similarly, <laughs> uh, you know, of a complicated life to me. And I've had them bail out at last minute, you know. Um, that's really frustrating, right, for somebody. For me, like free time is, you know, very valuable. So at any rate, yeah, making sure you walk through that level of commitment and you're on the same page is a really important thing. <laughs> and well, there's commitment and there's time. And the old saying is, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. And I, pardon me, but I certainly remember sleeping at the West Rim trailhead before a 24 hour long project. And at midnight, you show up. And it's not like you were just blowing it off. And not, it wasn't that at all. You were totally committed to it. But you got off work at 5 or 6 p.m. in Salt Lake City and drove down to Zion National Park and didn't get there till 11 or 12 at night. So you were committed, but you also had a lot of things yeah. on your schedule. Yeah, I was committed. And I appreciate that you sort of had confidence that I would come through. I think the scenario you described has probably happened more than a couple of times, actually. Um, you know, looking back on that, I probably would say, man, be cautious of that guy, Jared. You know, he seems to show up at the last possible second. Um, thankfully, it's worked out. But that's, you know, how my life said, you know, tends to operate. But um, that said, it, I think in addition to the project, it's what I've learned is it's really good to discuss um, the activities and the other part, you know, the other partners' lives leading up to this too, right? Um, for example, I went out. Uh, I'll use a JMT example. Luke, uh, not Luke, Ty Adrani and I went out and did that. He was literally putting on a race, uh, Picaro Loco that he puts on in his home state there, and finished up the race, packed up, and then jumped on a plane the next day 
And that sort of seemed like a good way to make, make it happen. In hindsight, looking at that, like that was problematic. You know, like he was in a super stressed, sleep deprived mode right from the get go. Not a good, not a good sign of success. So, you know, and, and yeah, right. Buzz, I've been super guilty of that, like cramming <laughs> in every, you know, last possible thing leading up to a project. So thanks for, uh, thanks for working with me on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately you do very well on little sleep. So it, it, it definitely always worked out. <laughs> Anyone else? You know, after uh, tons of years of doing this, I do, I, I like to think I'm getting a little bit better at thinking about that time, you know, the day before and the, and, and after actually, um, you know, I went up to run a race, Gary Robbins race up in Canada. And it was fun to like stage a family trip the week before I kind of went into it relaxed and calm. And I, I wasn't rushing out of work right before those actually are a big deal, especially for really big projects is, you know, thinking through the, the activities leading up to, um, up to the project. So one could say your advice now is based on personal experience. Most of my advice is based on failure, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on my, yeah, my own personal failures. So it's probably really good advice. Yeah, uh, let's get. Uh, what about how one is feeling? Like we, you can get sick. You can uh, not feel good just days in advance. Have you ever had that come up? I have. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, that's a real. I mean. I've had I've had at least two projects that really stand out in my mind where I felt very committed, you know, to the point where I didn't really voice I probably shouldn't start the, this based on you know my state of health, physical health, like um, going into projects and I've paid the price dearly. If I could back up on a few projects like that, I would I would sort of hope that my my partners in these cases would have would have said, hey, I get it, you know, you're not doing well for whatever reason, you're sick or, um, another time. And I, yeah, so I, I have, I've made the wrong decision there on, on two key, two key projects. One was the JMT, that the same project I mentioned with Ty, where he had sort of suboptimal, you know, conditions leading up to it, as did I, I kind of entered the thing sick. I had a respiratory issue and it was, the whole thing was kind of a disaster because of it. I I'd like to think if we were to do the same thing again, we'd, we'd both say, Hey, you know, it's not in the cards this year. Let's, let's try another year. But, but yeah, so voicing that. Yeah. So it's okay to check in just even one day in advance and possibly bail right there. Yeah, totally. I mean, and like to a failure to, you know, to a really unhealthy point, I, I go into these projects and my mind totally committed. And I, I don't, I haven't in certain cases had the maturity to say, Hey, look, it's not in the cards for me today. Um, and back out. I've not done that. I, I think I would take a different approach going forward, but I recommend people have that honest conversation. You know, if I had a big project with you and you weren't feeling well the day before it and voiced that, um, I'd listen to you and I'd be okay with it, you know? So I encourage people to have that type of discussion up till like literally the, the night before or the, you know, the morning of whatever. Good call. Good call. Well, sticking with, uh, the planning, the leading up phase here. Uh, I think one thing that you like to do now, I don't think you used to like to do it, is rehearse it. You'll go through the, the crux moves, the crux equipment, things that need to be done uh, in advance. Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, right? You have you um, you have the time to put in several rehearsal episodes. In some cases and for some projects, especially ones you and I have done that are really, you know, involve like kind of life or death situations if you if you screw up, you know, 
it's a life or death. It's essential that you rehearse things. And I, you know, I guess referencing the trifecta, a link up of three canyons in Zion that me, you, and Ryan McDermott did. I think we were all committed to that idea that if we didn't have, if we weren't able to put in the time, we wouldn't even try it. And that that was without doubt the right call for that project. That's a very good recollection. We indeed said that. We said, let's do this if. Yep. That was, we really put that if. We have to do all three canyons individually in advance, and then we will do all three in one day. Yeah. And, and, you know, had we not done that and we were there in the mode trying to onsite it and, you know, move quickly on, on terrain with multiple repels and kind of tricky logistics, rope work and whatnot, I mean, it easily could have, you know, gone into the unsafe territory. So our rehearsals for that were critical. Um, May I remind you of something? <laughs> please. We actually didn't do that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The three hardest, these are the three biggest canyons in Zion National Park, which are Heaps, Imlay, and Cullum. We did Heaps. And of course, we have still have the fastest time on that. This is what, 10 years later. We certainly still have the fastest time on Imlay. And then we went to do Cullum, and I don't think we did it. Well, we had done it in the past. You're right. I, okay, good point. Fair correction. Thank it. you. We had done it in the past. We said, oh, we don't need to do this. We had done this in the past. We got this one. So then we went and did the trifecta. We had our spreadsheet. Our planning was just perfect. And we were ticking all the points all along the entire spreadsheet, which, was, as you said, was a terrific amount of logistics. And we pulled down the rope on the very last rappel of the day, right as the sun went down and it got dark. All we had to do is hike out. <laughs> okay, I stand corrected. Thank you, Buzz. You're right. We put emphasis on the two biggest, hardest canyons. We rehearsed those. Consequently, they both went flawlessly. And you're right. We screwed up the tail end, the easy part, uh, the exit. <laughs> the exit. We were done with all technical, and we blew the exit. Yeah. No. Okay. You're right. I agree. However, so let this be an example, right? The, the, the portion of the trip that we had rehearsed did go very well, and it could easily have not gone well. So, Right. Yep. Right. So that's a, good, that's, that's, that's a very good example because we are providing an example of how to do it and how not to do it. Yeah. I mean, I guess to that point, right, that one takeaway could be uh, don't overlook the seemingly simple things, right? Um, when we were down there, I believe we made several trips down there. We should have rehearsed the exit, right? The the no-brainer part of the course. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, no one's still been able to better our time. So uh, someone listen to this podcast, they could, right? They could listen to this podcast, go down to Zion National Park and do the, the uh, Zion trifecta better than we did it if they listen carefully to this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. We should point out, Buzz, that that objective is a bit of an extension, a bit of a tangential uh, sport from ultra running. <laughs> it is. It is. That's true. Okay. So getting back on that one, there's Nolan's. You've done Nolan's three times. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I guess in our last examples, you know, for that type of project, very risky project, it was simply, um, at least for the two canyons of the three, it, it, we were all committed to only doing the project if we had rehearsed them. We should have rehearsed 
100%. Um, many of the things I've done purely out of life circumstances, I have not had the luxury to rehearse. Um, and so in that scenario, you know, it's a totally different uh, upfront work, right? It's tons of planning. You have to be okay. Ho hopefully one or mo more of you are, are kind of drawn to the planning side of things, but, you know, do as much planning as you possibly can remotely, read as many reports as you can, map as best you can. Um, but then because of that uncertainty, be okay with the inevitable, you know, curveballs that that's going to throw at you. And that's been a lot of things I've done, including, you know, my very first Nolans for sure. Um, and then the subsequent ones that I've gone back and done, I haven't gone out there and spent, you know, weeks acclimating and rehearsing the whole whole route. So all three of them have been real learning experiences for me. Hmm. Well, sticking with the, the partnership theme and the importance of the lead up phase, communicating, the, we've just gone through a lot of aspects of that, but there's possibly a few more. You just mentioned one, acclimatization, make sure that both partners are putting in the work in advance so they're prepared. Yeah, totally. I mean, Nolan's is a great example. Most projects in the high mountains of Colorado are going to bring that component. Um, I had done that with Gary Robbins, who lives at the, lived at the, in the time uh, North Vancouver, so sea level. And you know, he recognized that was going to be a challenge for him. He had um, didn't have the luxury of spending a lot of time at altitude. So anyway, he he sort of arranged his summer around it. He actually, I believe, went out to Hard Rock a week or two before, paced someone, spent time at altitude. So he put together a plan that worked for him, um, you know, given that that would be a challenge he'd be facing coming from sea level. So uh, that, that, that's a So Gary one. did the work. Gary did the work, yeah. And then, um, you know, he said it was a family trip, I believe we arranged beforehand, like a there was a, a week or at least like five days that, that I was out there. I think he was out there a little bit longer, but spent time kind of working his way up in altitude. And, um, you know, we had, we had issues in Nolans, but they weren't altitude related. So, you know, risk mitigated, <laughs> you know, with what he had done beforehand. Now your last, uh, aspect of the partnerships is still communication, but this is while you're in the project, this is executing. This is things like a proper balance of communication, uh, you know, sharing your issues and, and staying in touch. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's a fine line and, and a real, you know, something you need to sort out, right? The right amount of communication. I think many of us in the if you have a background in ultra running are just used to, you know, we've sort of grown up with just a put your head down and deal with anything and don't talk about it mentality. Right. I mean, oftentimes that trait does really well in hard races. Um, that can also really work against you. If you're teaming up with somebody and both of you are just, you know, grunting through whatever challenge you're facing and not talking about it. Um, Gary and I, in this example, um, I think we just inherently work really well in terms of we both internalize uh, the struggles that we're facing very well. We hardly talked about anything the first time we were at Barclay together. Um, and yet on the flip side, when he and I attacked, attacked uh, or did Nolans together, he made it a point to keep me in the loop on, on things he was uh, dealing with. Like I had an example that came to mind of halfway through, he says something like, hey, Jared, just so you know, I've got this issue going on. This is hurting me. I'm going to take 200 milligrams of ibuprofen. I just want you to be aware of that. And I was like, wow, that is that's so cool. Um, that it sort of 
And so rather than rather than feeling that he was just kind of being wussy, you were impressed. You appreciate the fact that he shared what he was doing. I was. I mean, honestly, if, not very many partners in my past experience had done something like that. So it, it was a little tiny, tiny thing, but it stood out to me. And quite frankly, um, replaying it in my mind uh, prior to this podcast, what it did for me was it opened up the door for me to communicate to him perhaps more than than I would have in the past and that proved really beneficial you know fast forward in that Nolan's uh project of ours we actually we had a really bad weather episode of like I don't know 12 plus hours we were both really suffering we were nearly hypothermic and thankfully we both voiced that we had sort of you know come up on a really dangerous mode and we bailed we pulled the plug and I I, I have to think that sort of his bringing up this like seemingly minor thing early on sort of told me, sent the message to me that I need to communicate back to him as well, which we did. I was, I'm really sort of proud of the fact that we both, um, you know, discussed that, made the right call to bail. Thankfully we unbailed later, <laughs> got back on route and finished the thing. But I, I, I do really, I, I find great satisfaction in the fact that we both brought that up. We talked about it. We made the right call. We got out of there when we were both, in an unsafe mode. Had we not done that, if we were just two, you know, internalizing kind of people, we would, we could have just forged on ahead and it had a really bad situation. So. Well, this is fascinating because there's a balance here, isn't there? In that you got to go hard. Otherwise you're not going to get very far. You have to be somewhat driven, not only just fit, but you have to be somewhat driven. And yet there has to be a balance to think about it. And I think, Jared, what you're saying is, and talk about it. So everyone, whether it's two, three, or four, are involved, share what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and possibly not, uh, what's the word? No group think. So we're Best decisions are made when each individual is participating in the decision-making process. You know, I've learned so much from you over the years. I've learned a lot from Gary, and I I actually thankfully jumped on a call with him before this to just get his perspective on some of the things we've done in the past. Gary's, and he brought this up. I said, Gary, why why was it important for you to pause and tell me? Uh, about you know why you were feeling the way you were and that you were taking a little bit of ibuprofen. He he said this, and this is probably a, a really important thing to share with people. I guess years ago he used to do adventure racing or expedition racing, and um, you know had some early challenges with the team dynamics. Um, in in uh, I believe it was 2010, one of their friends um, died, passed away in the in the context of the expedition race, and so he and the other people on the team they were debriefing days after um, playing through the scenario about why their friend had passed away, why their friend died. And so he said, Jared, I think the reason I reached out to you, the reason I found it important to tell you that was it kind of all started with that episode where the team, we all agreed in that debrief, had we taken the time to pause and think through things and voice any of the things we were uncomfortable with, that might not have happened. I might not have lost my friend. And so Gary has sort of taken that now to projects like Nolan's that he did with me. He told me on his group runs with multiple people, he, he literally pauses the whole group and says, all of us here, you know, it's important. If something's on your mind, if you're uncomfortable, talk about it. I really love that. It's like such a mature way to approach group projects. And if I, I'm going to make a generalization here, if I may. I think sometimes when males get together, that falls away. 
I, I like to think, maybe I'm being totally incorrect, that if there's one or more females in the group, there's a little more process involved. But sometimes all males can kind of get the charge going and not think through things carefully. I completely agree. Um, I mean, I haven't tackled any really big projects um, with women, but clearly um, my wife has proven to me that uh, women are far more rational and logical. <laughs> so, um, yes, um, I think an all-male team probably suffers from that even more, just the notion of, you know, don't talk about it, deal with it kind of thing. And that can lead to very dangerous situations. 19 years ago, Peter and I went after the Colorado Trail, set an early FKT on that, and we made a rule. I think we did a good good job going through some of these examples you're giving, Jared, of how to handle it. And one of our stated conscious rules was, if someone questions the route, the other person stops and considers it. Because as you said, there's a tendency to say, wait, is this the right way to go? And the other person says, yeah. Yeah, sure. Right. You just blow through it. You blow through it. And then if you make a mistake, you're losing 30 minutes or an hour. Well, if you take 30 seconds to check the map, you can save that half an hour. And so we made a conscious rule. If any one of us said, are we sure we're going in the right direction? The other person would automatically stop and consider that question carefully. Yeah. I think it's so good. It's so, so good and sort of mature to like have that rule at the outset of a project. And uh, what's funny to me, Buzz, is you set that rule with Peter many years ago. And then in projects with me, <laughs> we didn't really adhere to that rule. We've screwed things up where if we had paused for 30 seconds, we would have made better decisions. Well, that exit from Collab Canyon is a good, is a good, bad example, isn't it? Yeah. Boy, it was... That was an odd thing. We we struck. We didn't stick together. This yeah. is a good bad example, isn't it? It's a good bad example. Yeah, but it all turned out fine. No one got hurt. But if we had paused for thirty seconds, we would have, in this case, you know, finished. You know, out a couple hours faster or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. You know, one other one other thought buzz to your point about um, questioning the route is uh, leading up to the project, maybe like the day before, the day of morning of whatever to sit down and, and truly walk through like walk through the route and you know i usually do that with maps in front of me maybe even google earth or something walk through the logistics so that at least sort of the average understanding among the group of the route is higher one problem i tend to really jump in and geek out on the mapping and timetables and all that one sort of negative byproduct of that oftentimes is the t the people that i'm with assume that I have it all figured out, right? They don't do any homework. And that's bit me too. So I think it's a really good thing to to truly walk through as best you can. So everybody has a clear understanding of of the route, key uh, you know, decision points, turning points, et cetera, and even, you know, bailing options. So um, I that's something I need to do better at going forward is elevating the the level of understanding of the group um, of the route. Get everyone involved. So everyone involved is really helpful. Um, now, if, if there's a commercial trip, there's a leader, there's a guide, but generally speaking, and for FKT projects, everyone's in it together. Yeah. Yeah. But so maybe one thing to look out for is if someone is the dominant, you know, uh, guide, orienteer, map person, um, that can actually hurt you, right? If, 
because that person, myself included, have made plenty of navigational errors. So if if everyone knows enough to be able to pause and question the route, like you and Peter um, talked about, that's a really healthy thing. Good point. Well, here's another aspect of the execution phase and communication is the relative strengths. So Gary Robbins mentioned AR adventure racing, which I've done a little bit myself, and part of the, of the style they are sometimes is the bungee cord. Yeah. It's I, you never see it in a regular race, but in AR on the bike, someone will, there's even gear for this, attach a bungee cord from the strong cyclist to weak cyclist and help them up a hill. Uh, that is, I think is completely fair. I think that's very reasonable. I like the teamwork aspect, but some people, Oh no, you can't do that. And then of course, in canyoneering, this is very, very well ex- accepted. It's considered very good technique, the partner assist, yeah. right? So in climbing, it's not considered good, but in canyoneering, it's actually considered high level, or you might just stand on someone's shoulders. You might use each other's bodies to get over something or possibly the toe. Yeah. And I, But I think this comes back around, not just the technique to acknowledging strengths and weaknesses because you're going to finish as a team. And that's something that AR really pioneered. You know, if you got, you got a four person team and if one person is weak, all three people yeah. are weak. You're only going fast the slowest person. So it might be time to offload some yeah. weight. You know, that was one thing that uh, me, you, Ryan have, have done really well in a, you know, a really easy way to spread that load out is with weight, right? Cause with canyoneering, you have so much crap with your ropes and, wetsuits and dry bags and all sorts of junk. Um, so I think you need to put your egos aside. And if someone's struggling, whoever it is in the back, who's working harder, take 10 pounds off 15, 20 pounds and put it on the person, in the front, right? <laughs> Average it out. And you can do that for things that involve a lot of weight. And to your point too, and once in the Canyon, uh, you know, it's canyoneering is a fascinating event in the sense that you can really, the three of you use three bodies to actually get over up and over obstacles efficiently. But I think the whole spreading out of gear thing is an important thing. And, and you, you were always really good at that, Buzz. you would say something like, you know, Jared, you're, you're moving a little stronger than me. And so here's 10 pounds. <laughs> I always thought that was cool, <laughs> but it worked. I mean, it was, it was, it was the right call, you know, in different, in, in that scenario. Well, good. Thanks for that feedback. We've never talked about that. We did do that. So I appreciate you uh, confirming that that was, you were just fine with that because we definitely did that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. You didn't hesitate at all. (laughs) Of course, there's that. (laughs) I I had a moment of pause of like, huh. Okay. But yeah, this makes complete sense. All right. Yeah. Well, we carried three ropes. We carried a 200, a 100, and a 50. And you, you carried the 200. You know, and so it was, uh, it helped. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so I think, but I think, I think people might hesitate, you know, mostly out of ego to say, hey, I am, I am struggling maybe more than you. Um, Here's how we might equalize things a little bit. And I think from an overall efficiency standpoint, being quick to, you know, that goes, that goes back to the whole picking your partner, right? Like if I'm struggling and Luke is really strong, you know, one, he, he can read me and figure out ways to take up the slack and, you know, vice versa. So um, that whole set the ego aside, spread gear out, and even the tow rope, which I've never really employed, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's 
awesome actually if the team works well enough that you can you can uh, jump to those tactics as a way to become more efficient. Okay, the bottom line here is it's a team. Uh, yep. In an FKT project, it's a team. You're out there in the backcountry probably, and so the ethical style is a little different. It becomes more like an adventure race. It becomes more like mountaineering where getting everyone home at the same time safely is very good ethics. And to kind of maintain this purity of style isn't good ethics. It's kind of a little more ego driven. All right. Well, this is good, Jared. I think we identified uh, just on a overall level that the choice of a partner and working as a good team is one of the key aspects of both safety and success. And you start off by saying enjoyment. So what the heck? We're out here to have fun. And just, and just to recap, you mentioned start with a selection. You know, who who complements your skills? Be on the same same wavelength in terms of everything from publicity to uh, how committed you are. Secondly, you talked about communicating during the planning phase. You're a big planner. So go through the whole thing in advance and make sure you're on the same wavelength and you're both dialed. And lastly, you talked about communication while you're executing the project. Uh, that was good, Jared. I, it's funny. People, everyone who was listening to this knows these things to be the case, but it's not talked about that often. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really fun to talk about it. You know, I realize so much of the the motions that we discussed here are things that we all just sort of learn over time, but then never really formalize as an important part of the project, right? Um, and yet it's, boy, if you fail at any one stage in this, you know, the partner, the planning, execution, et cetera, like the whole thing can go awry. So it's kind of fun to dive into the mechanics of what makes you know, a partner-based project uh, successful. And it was fun for me to rethink it, like to go through and actually write a few things down to talk to friends. Um, I've never really done good debriefs right after a project, so it was fun to go revisit some of the big projects with friends of mine. And and most importantly, I hope people, you know, learn from what we've talked about. Right. I'm going to sum up with one overarching aspect, and I'll let you do the same before we sign off. One thing that worked for me early on is good judgment. Uh, an, an example of that was when I first did something with Peter, we ran over to from Boulder to Winter Park, Colorado in uh, October and it snowed overnight. And Peter and I started back up the next day to run back over the Continental Divide. We got up to Timberline and it was snowing hard. You, you, it was a whiteout conditions and we were of course skimp, scantily clad. And we had never done anything before. So there's that two males together. You know what I mean? And yeah, that could be trouble. And I looked at this and I said, I think we ought to go back. What do you think? And he said, yeah, I think we ought to go back. And we turned around. We didn't blink. There is no ego. We had a strong push. We were both very fit. We were both committed. And yet when it was time to pull the plug, both of us did it and we didn't think twice about it. We had to go all the way back down and hitchhike all the way back around to Boulder. And right then and there, I realized I'd be willing to do another project with Peter, not because he was super strong, which he is, but because he had good judgment and I could be sustainably safe with him. Yeah. That's a beautiful closing thought there, Buzz. Well, do you have one? 
You know, I, I'll just harp on the whole communication thing because probably because it's maybe a weakness of mine, like, um, and and something I feel like I've learned so much from my partners, uh, you being uh, a key person in terms of teaching me lessons. You know, I think the very best endurance kind of projects happen when people are able to communicate almost the way you would in a marriage, like super open, super honest, put the ego aside in all stages from the very beginning, from when you're enthusiastic about the idea, all the way through when you're actually executing it. And um, for me, like being able to reflect on a partner who has done that, you know, is just so cool. Um, and I, it makes me, you know, really solidify the fact that I want to pursue other projects with this, with this person and knowing that it'll be safe too. Right. I mean, ultimately to the point you've made already, like it, that's the goal is to <laughs> come back alive. Right. And, and, uh, it's just such a, such an important thing. Um, being able to actually talk through things from the beginning stage all the way through the end and, um, you know, shouldn't be overlooked. It's not just about finding someone of similar horsepower, similar results in races, um, but building these uh, partnerships. And in the end, you know, yeah, I went and did, you know, Project XYZ with, with various friends, but those are, those are true people that mean so much to me now because we were able to tackle uh, a project and discuss and and really understand each other. They're the most meaningful relationships that have come out of, you know, a project like Nolan's or something, right? These are like really valuable relationships, and that's such a fun part of the sport to me, you know. So, the relationship, yeah, yeah. So hopefully, people um, are able to realize from this podcast that there's so much to to the the planning and the partnership part of it. Um, that they can uh, learn a few things from this. And I hope that you and I get to do something else together this spring. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> well, you're, you know, you're on, you're on that list buzz where when you call and say, I want to go do something, um, I pretty much put just about anything aside to make it happen because of all the experience. I know we're going to plan it out. I know it's going to work out. I know we'll be safe, et cetera. So yes. I'm still on the list. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I was, I was, you know, I'm getting old. I was afraid you might have fallen off that list. <laughs> You're on the list. <laughs> Excellent. Jared, you are our first three-time uh, podcast guest. I thank you very much. For listeners who like hearing Jared's great information, go back to number 30. And I think number 61 also is with Jared Campbell. And hopefully well, there's more to come. And for the listeners... If you're liking this, please go to iTunes and review it. Give us uh, however many stars that you might like, particularly if the number rhymes with live. And uh, give us a little review because we appreciate it very much and hope to keep bringing these back to you. Thanks again, Jared. Thank you, Buzz.